I read an article this week about a lady. It caught my attention um, because I've July is the time where I have to go in, you know, for my MRIs and get all this stuff redone and um, go back and forth with, you know, from the, the skin cancer and the tumors and all that stuff. And um, I had I had a couple of calls. I told you a couple of, a couple of weeks ago that I got a call from the dermatologist office and. Uh, and it wasn't for me, actually. I mean, it was, they had my name down for the appointment, but it wasn't me. I was supposed to go in for hair removal, which I just found hilarious. <laughs> you know, hair, hair removal. But, um, and this week I got a call from the ear doctor. There's a, a long name that ends with ologist for that. Um, and, and, um, you know, you can tell it to me later. Um, you know, but uh, they called me, and this also was not my appointment. <laughs> you know, uh, but so they had my attention on you know on those annual checkups and these things. And I run across this article about this lady who had 86 surgeries for skin cancer, and she's only in her 40s, and she's already had 86 surgeries. For skin cancer. Now she said she began working on tanning when she was a teenager uh, because she didn't like her pale skin. She was pale and had a lot of freckles and she didn't like that. Uh, they found the first melanoma on her leg when she was 23. She was in college and that's when they found the first one. She, uh, she blew it off at first. She said, you know, she didn't even return to have the spots removed until the doctor's office kept calling her, you know, repeatedly and said, you have got to come in. You've got to come in and get this taken care of. And she kept putting it off until later and then finally went in and had it taken care of. Uh, she played college basketball and because she she was a better player. And so her picture would be in the paper, the school paper and the local paper and things like that. And she didn't like the way... She looked, you know, being pale and all. So even after that first surgery where they removed a couple of, of uh, skin cancers and they had a picture of her laying on the couch and it said she had to walk with crutches for a while because, you know, it was that it wasn't just a, a scrape, you know, it was cutting his thing out. And, and even that didn't get her attention. And so she um, put it off and went back to tanning. And within a year... She had to have another skin cancer removed from the side of her face, and she had a picture of that too, and that left a scar. <clears throat> and here, you know, she said that she was so concerned about her looks, which was why she was tanning, and now she has this large scar on the side of her face, and she said, but that was when she realized she needed to stop tanning. And now she realized, you know, not later. It was something she couldn't put off. By her mid-30s, she had already had 50 surgeries and at one point was having uh, surgery every three months to remove skin cancers from her. <clears throat> she said now she wears sunscreen every day and she wears a hat and long sleeved, long sleeves. She said if she could go back and tell her 17-year-old self something, it would be that pale skin and freckles are much better than all of the scars that she now has. Um, now, I'm not talking about skin cancer today, but rather, why do we think it's a good idea to put off until later what we know we should be doing? Why do we think it's okay to put these things off? 
You know, now you can apply this in a lot of different areas, but today we're going to look at the importance of not putting God off until later. Let's pray and we're going to get into our passage. Father, I thank you so much that you woke me up. Woke me up to, well, I believed in you, but it just was, there was such a disconnect. And that you in your grace and in your love continued to reach out to me and continued to, um, Help me to understand your love, your grace. Now, Father, I'd like to say that I was immediately obedient, but we know that just wasn't the case. And even now, I wonder sometimes if there's some things in which I'm doing in which I'm putting you off. I, I, I don't ever want to do that intentionally. I don't think any of us here would say we want to do that intentionally, but Father... As I look into your word, sometimes I see that it's indeed what I'm doing. So I pray that you would help us to see you in your word today. To see you in our lives, because that's important. So open up your word. Let your spirit work and teach us today. As we look, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in Genesis uh, chapter 29. We're going to cover a lot of verses today. So... uh, you know, when you um, open your Bible, or the, the, if you're using the Pew Bible, you see there it's on page 25. I'm going to be reading from the Holman Christian Standard. Um, if it confuses you to have me read something that is worded a little differently than what you're looking at, then I'd encourage you to use the Pew Bible. But we're going to look at this in, in sections. So I'm going to I'm going to read a part, and then we'll make a few observations. That's really all I'm going to do. I'm going to pull out a few observations as we go along which will help us, I hope, to understand which there's really only one main point, uh, and that's about, you know, what we are about God's people as we finish out, as we finish out what we're looking at today. Uh, but we cannot, we cannot take a proper look at these verses here that start in verse, in chapter 29. We can't take a proper look at them really without looking at what comes in the previous chapters. We've been working our way up to this, those of you who have been here. As we started this series, we've been walking through this, this part of Genesis. But if you recall, or if, even if you don't, if you just glance back at chapter 28, it ends, chapter 28 ends with Jacob trying to strike a deal with God. In a dream, God told Jacob that, 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 that he would be with him wherever he went. God said, I'll be with you wherever you go. And, uh, you know, he told him that he would give him the land that he slept on, you know, as well as numerous descendants. Now, what you need to understand and remember is Jacob does not yet have a relationship with God. We always we think of Jacob as, as if he always had a relationship with God. Jacob does not yet have a relationship with God here as we're in chapter 29. And as God reveals those things to him in a dream, notice his response at the end of chapter 28. His response was that if God would be with him on his journey and provide him with food and clothing and bring him back to his father's house, if God did all these things for him, then Jacob said he would commit himself in a relationship with God. What he was doing was he was putting off following God. He was putting that off to some future date, which he may have had a date in mind, but as we'll see as we look through this chapter, 
you know, his schedule went right down, right, right down the tubes, except they didn't have the tubes then, so it went right out the window. Uh, you know, but what, what, what we're, what we're gonna be looking at here is some of the foolishness that happens when you put off following God. That's what's revealed in these. This first group of verses, this first section is the longest part we're gonna read. Verse 1, chapter 29, verse 1, it says, Jacob resumed his journey and went to the eastern country. He looked and saw a well in a field. Uh, Three flocks of sheep were lying there beside it because the sheep were watered from this well. A large stone covered the opening of the well. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the opening of the well and water the sheep. The stone was then placed back on the well's opening. Jacob asked the men at the well, My brothers, where are you from? We're from Haran, he answered. Do you know Laban, the grandson of Nahor? Jacob asked him. They answered, we know him. Is he well? Jacob asked. Yes, they said, and here is his his daughter Rachel coming with his sheep. Then Jacob said, look, it's still broad daylight. It's not time for the animals to be gathered. Water the flock, then go out and let them graze. But they replied, we can't until all the flocks have been gathered and the stone is rolled from the well's opening. Then we will water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess, which was not an unusual thing then. Verse 10, as soon as Jacob saw his uncle Laban's daughter, Rachel, with his sheep, he went up and rolled the stone from the opening and watered his uncle Laban's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept loudly. Again, this was not, the weeping was unusual, but the kissing was a normal greeting. Verse 12, he told Rachel that he was his father's relative, Rebekah's son. She ran and told her father. When Laban heard the news about his sister's son, Jacob, he ran to meet him, hugged him, and kissed him. Then he took him to his house, and Jacob told him all that had happened. Laban said to him, Yes, you are my own flesh and blood. After Jacob had stayed with him a month, Laban said to him, Just because you're my relative, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The older was named Leah, and the younger was named Rachel. Leah had ordinary eyes, but Rachel was shapely and beautiful. Now, I'm just going to pause here for just a second, just so you, you understand what's going on. Uh, when it says that she had ordinary eyes, I, I think King James words it, weak eyes or something to that effect. Uh, that was a, that was a, a thing of beauty for them was a sparkling eyes. And when it says that she was shapely and beautiful, the shape that that Mid-Easterners like is much different than shapely and beautiful here in the U.S. You know, so when we when we when we think of these, sometimes we get these pictures in our mind. Um, they loved um, more stout women. Is that a polite way to put it? When I was a kid, you used to buy jeans and they were irregular or husky. They liked husky women. Just a thought for you there. Verse 18, Jacob loved Rachel, so she answered Laban, I'll work for you for seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban replied, better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay with me. So Jacob worked seven years for Rachel, and they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my time is completed. I want to sleep with her. So Laban invited all the men of the palace to a feast. That evening, Laban took his daughter Leah 
and gave her to Jacob, and he slept with her. And Laban gave his slave Zilpah to his daughter Leah as her slave. Again, it was a common thing. When morning came, there was Leah. So he said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Wasn't it for Rachel that I had worked for you? Why have you deceived me? Laban answered, it is not the custom in this place to give the younger daughter in marriage before the firstborn. Complete this week of wedding celebration, and we will also give you this younger one in return for your working yet another seven years for me. And Jacob did just that. He finished the week of celebration, and Laban gave him his daughter Rachel as his wife. And Laban gave his slave Bilhah to his daughter Rachel for her slave. Jacob slept with Rachel also, and indeed, he loved Rachel more than Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. Now, I want to remind you again, uh, at this point, Jacob does not have a relationship with God. So what you see going on here, you know, don't, don't assume that everything you're reading that God was thrilled with some of the choices they made. Now the journey that Jacob started back in verse one took about a month to get from Bethel to, uh, to back to Haran. It was about a month's journey he had. So what you have going on there in verse one is about a month. When you hit verse 20, seven years go by. By the time you get to verse 30, 14 years have gone by. I was looking at this, and it just was a real, very apparent to me that the longer we put off following God, the easier it becomes to put off following God. You see, Jacob didn't have that relationship with God. He had that encounter with God there. You know, with, with Jacob's, some of the translations say Jacob's ladder. Some talk about that stairway. We looked at that last week. And he has that encounter with God. And yet what he, what he does is he puts God off till a later time. He says, if, you know, if you do all these things and if, you know, if you, if you're with me, if you feed me, if you clothe me, you know, if you bring me back safely, then when I'm back, when I'm back to my father, then what he's doing is he's, he's pushing it off, he's pushing it off, he's pushing it off. If you recall, if, when you look back at, at the earlier chapters and, you know, he was going to be set off, he was going to be sent off, you know, Rachel and, and Isaac, they were going to send him off so that his brother Esau wouldn't kill him. Uh, you know, they, Rachel, his mom expected it to be, or Rebecca expected it to be just a few days. You know, just maybe, and, and, you know, when your brother cools off, then we'll call, you know, we'll get you back. And uh, here he is, 14 years later, he still isn't back. He still isn't back. It's really, it turns out to be about 20 years before he returns. But what he's doing is he's pushing, he's putting God off all of this time, you know, and because the one, one, once we, you know, the longer we put him off, the easier it is to. We become accustomed to living without God and we continue to live the next day as we did the previous day. And we continue to put God off and put him off. One day turns into the next and before you realize it, 14 years have gone by. You see, we fall into the habit of putting God off, you know, putting off following him. And it takes deliberate, intentional action to change your habit into the habit of following God. Because we are used to not, we're used to putting Him off. We're used to putting off following Him. And what we do then is we fall into that habit. You know, and we begin, we begin to, we begin to just stay there. 
Jacob journeys back to Haran, where his mother Rebekah came from. And when Abraham's servant traveled back, if you recall, when Abraham's servant traveled back to find a wife, uh, you know, for Abraham and Sarah's son Isaac, Jacob's father, when Abraham's servant arrived at the well, do you remember what he did? He prayed for guidance from God. When the servant came and he got to that well, he prayed that God would guide him. And here, what you have, Jacob still holds off God and goes with his own plan. You don't see any picture here at all of him consulting God. He just puts God off and he goes with his own plan. And and what seems to be a very warm welcome and a smooth first seven years, because all we're told is, you know, he made this promise. Seven years went by and it just, and we like to look at this, you know. And it seemed like such a thing because of his love for her. He just loved her so much, you know. And that's kind of what we look at here. But what it is is seven years have gone by and he continues, he continues to put God, you know, to put off following God. And, And very quickly what happens is Jacob the deceiver became Jacob the deceived. The deceiver now became the deceived. And the explanation that, the explanation that Laban gave for this deception in verse 26 is more literally worded in this place. We don't put the younger before the older. That is a more literal translation there. In this place, we don't put the younger before the older. The exact thing that Jacob worked out to deceive his brother, his older brother Esau, so that he could be ahead of his older brother. And here again, we see, you know, this whole thing of the deceiver being deceived. So after seven years of following his own plan, after seven years of putting God off, Jacob is deceived and ends up marrying the wrong sister. Wrong in his mind, that is. You see, it's not the way, it wasn't going according to his plan. The longer we put off following God, the easier it becomes to put off following God. Some people say, how could he not know it wasn't Rachel? Well, quite easily, actually. I mean, it's, it's, you see there where they put on a banquet. A wedding was a long, involved process for them. You know, and it was, there was a lot of parting. If you remember when Jesus came to the, to the, the wedding at, at Cana in Galilee and they ran out of wine, Jesus' mother comes to him and says, Oh, my boy, do something. That's a paraphrase. Hey, do something, you know. And so he, Jesus makes turns the water into wine. And what do they say? They say, whoa, dude, you put out the, you put out the, the good wine now. Usually they put out the good wine earlier. And later, when no one can tell the difference, then we put out the cheap stuff. Why can I not tell the difference? Well, because they've been drinking the good wine and partying and carrying on and having a good time. Um, when, when, 
you know, when I used to when I used to think it was a good idea to drink, and I don't. I think you're foolish if you do it. I, I think it's a lousy example. I, I just think you're turning yourself over to somebody else. You can disagree with me on that, and that's okay. Uh, you know, I'll still love you, and so will God. But you know, and that's a more important one. But the the whole thing here, you know, when you know when we were at at parties or weddings and stuff. You know, you can. You know, people can say they drink to get social, to be social, and all that stuff. But you know, it's it's not much different now than it was then. And and you know, people drink to get to a certain level of. It's drunkenness, actually, a certain level of inebriation. Let's call it that. And maybe you won't be so offended. But um, I think the same thing was going on here. How could he not notice that he was given the wrong woman? Because after a long day of partying, and you bring a veiled woman, remember, that was what they did. They, they wore the veils. When his mother was brought to his father, she saw, his, you know, who's this coming across the field? Oh, you know, that, that's uh, Isaac. That's the guy you're going to marry. And puts the veil up. So you bring a veiled woman into a dark tent, with a, at least a slightly inebriated man. I, now, this is just all conjecture. You know, I mean, it doesn't tell us in the Bible why. It just seems to make sense to me. You know, that he, he doesn't notice he's got the wrong woman here. You know, it just seems to, to flow, you know. And, and now you got the deceiver... And he's deceived again. He keeps putting off following God. He does his own thing. And now his time away from his father's house is doubled from his original agreement. It was seven years to work for Rachel. He didn't get Rachel. He got Leah. And I like the way Laban works this one. Tell you what, I'll give you what you what we originally agreed to, but they got to give me seven more years. So the time away that he was, you know, that he was originally going to be away from his father's, in his mind anyway, this, the, the few days turned into, you know, turned into months to travel. And then the, the months turned into seven years while he worked for Rachel. The seven years turned into 14 years as he continued to work for Rachel. And, and so what you have here is, you know, it, it just keeps going on and on and on. And, and he cuts off God in following his decision. The longer we put off following God, the easier it becomes to put off following God. We become accustomed to living that way. It doesn't, it isn't always in the whole general scheme of life. Sometimes it's just in a certain area that we put God off. God, I know you want me to follow you here, but over here, not going to happen. I remember when, you know, when, when God was teaching me about tithing because my idea of, of giving at that point was, I told you before, you know, I thought if I put 20 bucks in a plate, I was a big deal, you know. And really, yeah, yeah, big deal. That is the thing. But, uh, you know, then, and then when, when God was, was, was telling, you know, and teaching me that, you know, all I have is His and the finances and everything are His and, you know, then, uh, 
you know, I, I knew where God was, was taking me, but then I, I kind of put it off a little bit and said, you know, I gave God, I, I took care of all my bills and everything first. And then, you know, well, then, you know, as God continued to teach me these things and, and show me these things, and I realized that all I have is God's and I'm to honor Him. And when it talks about first fruits and all this giving and stuff, I was, I was really living in trust in myself and my job and not in God. And I had to change that and stop putting God off. Or, you know, I, I told you, you know, before when I used to drink, I would like, to, I would love to be able to tell you that. It was when I became a Christian, I realized, you know, how destructive that would be and what a bad example that would be and stuff, and I stopped doing it. But I didn't. That isn't when I stopped drinking. I'd love to tell you that I, that I learned, you know, that I really learned the importance of loving my wife as Christ loved the church as soon as I became a Christian and stuff, but I didn't. And as we learn those things, sometimes we, we, we begin to put things off. Sometimes intentionally, sometimes by habit. I had both of those at work in these different areas that I've been telling you about. You know, some of them, some of them by habit, some of them by choice. When we, you know, when we put God off, even in a certain area, when we put off following God in that area, it becomes much easier to continue to do that. And it becomes much more destructive for us. Let's move on to the next section, verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was unable to conceive. Leah conceived and gave birth to a son and named him Reuben. For she said, The Lord has seen my affliction. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, gave birth to a son, and said, The Lord heard that I am unloved and has given me this son also. So she named him Simeon. She conceived again, gave birth to a son, and said, At last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne three sons for him. Therefore, he was named Levi. And she conceived again, gave birth to a son, and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she named him Judah. Then the Lord, then, excuse me, then Leah stopped having children. Okay, we're going to pause there for a minute. Just one thing I want to get in here. Uh, 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 keep working until you have four sons. Just a thought, you know. I mean, I, lo- I, I love it when you people, have, you know, new babies again. This is just a great thing. That's just a little side comment, um, but just a thought, you know. It's it's here in the Bible, uh, you know. But but what, what you have here, this whole situation is messed up from the beginning. I mean, this was messed up from the beginning. Leah knew she was not chosen by Jacob. She knew that. She knew that he was tricked into marrying her. And Leah was not loved as a wife should be loved. You know, it, it, it's not that not that Jacob hated her. He had four kids. You know, what I mean, they're getting along. You know, it, it, but she was not loved as a wife should be loved. And into this situation, four sons are born through Leah. Now, look for just a minute here at a couple of the sons' names. The third son was named Levi. Levi is what the priestly line. Well, it becomes the priestly line where the where the priests come from. Look at the fourth son. The fourth son is named Judah. That's the messianic line. You know, the line that Jesus comes through. Now, at this time, at the time here, they, they viewed children as being favored by God. And they saw not having children as a curse from God, a direct judgment from God. And Leah here seems to have at least some awareness of God, it seems, with some of the names there. But I'm not sure, you know, that her awareness was of God as the one and only true God or as one God among many. They They were polytheistic they were you know idol worshipers back there where 
where Abraham came from, uh, Leah here tries to get Jacob to love her more by having more children. Children are not to be pawns or bargaining chips in a relationship, ever. Ever. They are not pawns and they are not bargaining chips in a relationship. I was looking at this and I said, you know, when we put off God, you know, following God, we make poor value decisions. Look what you have going on here. Jacob did not value his wife as he should have. He did not value her as he should have at all. Leah valued children only as currency to buy Jacob's love. Well, maybe not only, but that was a, a big emphasis for her. That she was, she valued these children as currency to buy Jacob's love. A wife and a children are a gift from God and should be treated as a gift from God. Now we're going to move on. Uh, verse 30, or excuse me, chapter 30. Let's start with chapter 30 here. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she envied her sister. Give me a son or I will die. Not to be overdramatic or anything. Give me a son or I will die, she said to Jacob. Jacob became angry with Rachel and said, Am I in God's place who has withheld children from you? <coughs> then she said, Here is my slave Bilhah. Go sleep with her and she'll bear children for me uh, so that through her I too can build up a family. So Rachel gave her slave Bilhah to Jacob as a wife, and he slept with her. Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Rachel said, God has vindicated me. Uh, yes, he has heard me and given me a son, and she named him Dan. Uh, Rachel's slave Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Rachel said, in my wrestlings with God, I have wrestled with my sister and won, and she named him Naphtali. And when Leah sees all this, she saw that she stopped having children. She took her slave Zilpha and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Leah's slave Zilpha bore Jacob his son. Then Leah said, what good fortune. And she named him Gad. When Leah's slave Zilpha bore Jacob his second son, Leah said, I am happy that the women call me happy. So she named him Asher. These people, what, a, what a messed up situation. Let me give you the observation right up front here. Rivalry and envy makes us talk and act foolishly. I mean, it, it just does. Just look at what's going on here. You know, when you leave God out, when you choose not to follow God, then you begin to compare yourself to others. Why? Because you see, you, you, you're not you're not looking for that relationship with God. You're looking and, and judging by your relationship with others. You judge your accomplishments or your lack of accomplishments by others instead of what God has for you, and that is foolish. It's foolish to compare yourself with one another. Rachel lashes out at Jacob here with a very overdramatic, in my mind, statement, you know, that give me sons or I'm going to die. Jacob couldn't make Rachel have a son. It seemed he was doing his part and having relations with her, but no children yet. You know, and, and Jacob replies with anger when he should have responded with prayer. But you see, he was continuing to put off following God. This was the same situation Jacob's parents were in when Rebecca wasn't having children. And in Genesis 25, when that happened, we see that Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord heard his prayer and his wife Rebecca conceived. So Rachel and Leah involved their servants in this mess of a marriage. They reduced their marriage to, to a copulating competition in an attempt to outdo each other in the production of male offspring. 
When we push God off, when we choose not to follow him, we act foolishly. It gets worse. Verse 14. Reuben went out during the wheat harvest and found some mandrakes in the field. When he brought them to his mother Leah, Rachel asked, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But Leah replied to her, Isn't it enough that you have taken my husband? Now you also want my son's mandrakes? Well, Rachel said, You can sleep with him tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came in from the field that evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come with me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So Jacob slept with her that night. Let's, it's, they considered mandrakes an aphrodisiac. You know, they thought that this was going to help them ha- have kids. Now, no one, no one is following God here. You know, they verbally acknowledged him earlier, but then they went on to do as they pleased. And they further reduced their marriage to buying and selling sexual encounters. That's, we call that prostitution within this marriage here. It flies in the face of what God intends to be the most intimate expression of love between a husband and wife. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it says, A husband should fulfill his marital responsibilities to his wife and likewise a wife to her husband. A wife does not have the right over her own body, but her husband does in the same way. A husband does not have the right over his own body, but his wife does. Do not deprive one another sexually, except when you agree for a time to devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again. Otherwise, Satan may tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Sex is never to be used as a weapon or a commodity of trade within a marriage. That is wrong. The scripture makes that very clear. We don't have time to expand on that. But when we, when we choose not to follow God, then passion, lust, anger, and Satan are free to give us all sorts of destructive options. And that's what we see going on here. If you're... You know, You need to realize you are following something or someone. You are following something or someone, and if it's not God you're following, then you're wide open for sin. If it's not God you're following in how you relate as husband and wife, you're wide open for sin. If it's not God you are following in how you manage your home, you're wide open for sin. If it's not God that you're... You are following someone or something there, and if it's not God, then you're wide open for sin. Let's hit this last section, verse 17. God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has rewarded me for giving my slave to my husband, and she named him Issachar. Now, just briefly, just because they always say, you know, God has done this, God has done that, they've been ignoring God. They're giving their interpretation on, on what was going on here. Verse 19, then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. God has given me a good gift, Leah said. This time my husband will honor me because I have borne six sons for him. And she named him Zebulun. Later, Leah bore a daughter and named her Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my shame. She named him Joseph. May the Lord add another son to me. Now we're going to, that's as far as we're going to read today. You know, and that last line is a prophecy that really kind of comes true. I don't, she obviously doesn't realize it, but we'll get to that in weeks to come. 
Notice what's going on here. Both women are using their bodies to try to find satisfaction in their relationship with their husband, Jacob, but also in their relationship with God. It's when they have these kids, all of a sudden they're saying, you know, God, look at, look at how God, you know, blessed me and stuff. And, and when they've been ignoring him all along, they've been ignoring him in everything they do. And they think that by ignoring God, that then he's blessing them because they're ignoring him. This doesn't even make sense. Now, it seems very clear that both women felt unloved by their husband, Jacob. Both women felt inadequate in their husband's love. I don't ever want that to happen to Ginny. I told you before, and I still work for this, I don't ever want Ginny to doubt my love for her. Ever. By what I say, by how I talk to her, by how I talk about her. And she's not here today because she's not feeling well, so I can, you know, I'm not buttering anybody up. You know, I'm just telling you the, the realities. I, I, don't want her, I, I don't want her to ever, ever doubt my love for her. By the way I treat her, talk to her, talk about her, by the way I am with her, by, by the way I, I live with her. I don't ever want her to doubt my love for her. Both of these women, Leah and Rachel, both are doubting Jacob's love for them. At this point, this family is a real mess because they have put off following God. And all they did was compound their problems as they went along. And it gets worse in the chapters to come. We'll get to that in, in, in the weeks to come here. But here's the point I hope you see today. God's people don't put off following God in any area of their life. If we are God's people, we claim to be God's people, we should not be putting off following God in any area of our life. We're out of time. Let's pray.